Well, I need you to do something with me. I want to play a little game this morning. Anyone love, anyone like charades? Charades. I, I want to play charades just for a second right now. Uh, I need you to participate. Everyone in the room, everyone turn, turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Everyone means you. No, uh, at the back of the room, all of you online, wherever you're watching, you're, you're listening to this in your car, I need you to do this with me. I want you to play charades with me. I want you to gesture, um, do a gesture with your hands that meet, symbolizes talking on the phone. Okay, go right now. Go ahead, talk, do it right now. Gesture, talking on the phone. Make that symbol right now, whatever that looks like. <laughs> You're talking with your hands. <laughs> I see hands going over here, talking on the phone. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, I did this with some, uh, some people today. Uh, how many did this, talking on the phone? Right? How many did this and you're over 30 years old? <laughs> who, who did this? Anyone? Right? We, <laughs> we have some people there. They're like, I, I do that, right? Some of you guys do this, <laughs> right? Talking on the phone. But that's always a person at the grocery store, like talking on the speakerphone. I'm like, I don't think you understand the etiquette, right? Here's the thing. Technology is changing. And so do our habits, right? It's funny. Like, my kids are like, I don't understand. What is this? Right? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Right? Technology is changing. Just imagine, like, with me, just, like, only a, a few decades ago, like, we would send letters to people, and they would take weeks and even months to arrive. I was looking at some old letters that my grandpa had tucked away uh, when he passed away, and I was looking at, you know, his family lived in England, and I thought, why would you even bother sending this, Right? I was like, how are you? You know, your sister and I are doing well. We like to play cards together. Merry Christmas. And I'm like, why would you send that letter? Like, there's no information, right? There's nothing of value in that letter, right? And we go from these letters that take weeks and months to arrive to the telegraph, right? We can get that message. We can get it across the ocean uh, instantly. Get the, uh, the written word there. And then we got the telephone. Anyone around for the invention of the telephone? Just wondering. Just wondering, right? Right? I'm glad that none of you did this for like telephone. Like no one did that today, right? And uh, we got, like, just imagine being able to hear someone's voice from the distance, right? Like, wow, this is incredible to hear someone's voice. And now we do video conference. How many love, remember those days just a little while ago, just a year and a half ago when we were all on Zoom doing, anyone remember Zoom? <laughs> anyone put that as a, you've already like, I've already forgotten Zoom. Don't want to do any more Zoom meetings, FaceTimes, conference calls. I, I don't know what's the future. I watch TV and, and you see like hologram graphic images, you know, those little Star Trek or Star Wars, little beam me up, you know, Scotty, little 3D virtual image pop up in front of you, and you can see someone virtually. Well, here's the thing, as much as our technology improves, our, our sociology, our society, uh, we are sort of regressing, right? Imagine those people that were like, this is amazing, I can hear your voice, right? And now we're actually regressing back to the place where we're like, I, I actually would rather receive the message over text than call. Did you know that 68% of people with uh, a cell phone say they would rather receive a text message than a, a phone call? That, that actually goes up to 83% when you look at millennials and under. We'd rather receive a text message than a phone call. Imagine, you can hear my voice, but you'd rather just get that text instead. 
Cell phone users report using five, they send five times more text messages than they do phone calls uh, these days. And there's some reasons why. The, the first one is that it's less intrusive, right? How many of you are in the middle of doing something and someone calls, right? And you're like, oh, now i got to answer the phone, right? It's going to, I don't know what they want. It's going to take 20 minutes talking on the phone, right? If you're in a text message, something comes to your mind, you just send that off and then you just forget about it, right? I sent the message. You get the message and you can just kind of like, oh, you know, even when you're at family dinner, you can like respond. It's, just, it's like <laughs> less intrusive. It's just, you can do it. it, it it's like, uh, it's private. Right? No one's going to overhear your conversation. Do you remember when you were a kid and, and that person called you and that you might have had a crush on them and, and you had to go in the other room but like the, the kitchen phone only stretched so far? Anyone remember that? You really had that phone cord stretched right out so you could be in the other, right? Texting is less intrusive, right? No one is hearing your conversation, right? That lady at the grocery store on her speakerphone, right? You hear everything, right? But texting is private. There's no background noise. It's less time consuming, right? Just a, a minute. You can, what do you need? Just give you a minute and you can respond unless you're the person who sends like the text like line by line. I have one person that texts me uh, once in a while and the, this is how they text me. Hey, Jer, bing, send it. Can I ask you a question? Bing, send it. I'm like... Well, you're going to ask me anyway, so why do you ask if you can ask, right? And then like, every sentence is like, bing, 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 bing. Holly has a friend, and we get in the group chat, and I have to leave that group chat all the time. <laughs> when I wear my Apple Watch, my wrist is like vibrating. It's like, ah, it's like, I can't like, take it anymore. Here's the other thing, though, that uh, you can multitask while you're doing text. You can watch TV, you can text, you can multitask, you can uh, use the facilities, anything you want while you're texting. Uh, <laughs> and it's less stressful. That's the number one reason millennials say that they actually get anxiety when it comes to answering the phone. This is a real thing. People, their phone rings and people feel anxious about answering. I don't know why that is. Uh, but some of it is that, you know, we prefer to have difficult conversations. It takes, it takes some of that emotion out of it, having a difficult conversation. You can just write your thoughts there. Uh, it, it, it avoids confrontation. It can avoid decision making, right? If someone sends you the text, you can, you can think about it, right? You don't have to give an answer right away. You're not on the spot, right? If someone says, hey, are you available next Friday? Uh, you're not like, uh, you know, standing in front of them trying to make up something you're doing next Friday. You can have some time to think about it. Here's the thing, regardless of how you prefer to communicate, we all know the frustration of trying to get a hold of someone who's not available, right? We all know the frustration of trying to get a hold of that person who's not picking up their calls and they're not answering their texts. We haven't had a home phone at our house for about 10 years and we don't really miss it. But once in a while, I'll call Holly and she won't pick up. Can you believe that? She doesn't pick up when I call. I don't understand, you know, why I'm not like right there. You know, I'm texting her, I call her, and I call her back repeatedly, right? I call her back, call her back, call her back. Maybe, you know, I text her, and if I can't get a hold of her, then I start doing what some of you do. I start calling the kids. I, I FaceTime them. Hey, are you at home? I, and once in a while, it's like no one is picking up at my house. And I, I'm like, I don't understand what to do. You know, I can't get a hold of them. Can you relate today? 
Here's the worst thing though. When you're texting somebody and you're in the middle of a conversation or you sent them something and you know they've received your text. How many of you, some of you leave like the read text, you know, that, I turn that off as soon as, you know, I don't want people to know I read your text, right? If it says read, like, and then, but you don't respond, I'm like, that's like an ultimate power move, right? Like, I read your text and I'm not responding. You're like, oh, okay. But sometimes you're texting and how many of you ever got these three little dots, right? They pop up. You can see the other person's on the other line and you're kind of waiting for that response and then all of a sudden the dots disappear. And you're like, they're not responding to my text. Did I say something? Did I do something? Right? I I have a friend and I was actually talking to him on the phone the other day and and, uh, as we were talking, uh, his phone died. I didn't realize it died at the time, but we we're in the middle of a conversation and his phone died. And so that you never had that problem with this, right? Like, oh, my phone died. Sorry. You know, no, his phone died. And so I called him back and my friend, I, only, I've called him a few times and I got to get on his case. He hasn't set up his voicemail. Anyone haven't set up your voicemail, right? He hasn't set up his voicemail. And this is what it said when I call him back. I'm sorry, the customer you're trying to reach is unavailable at this time. Please hang up and call again later. I want to talk to you this morning about availability. Whether you're a texter or a caller, I want to ask you this morning, how available are you? How available are you? Now, we've been in this series that we're wrapping up today, we've been we call this series Living on a Prayer. So today's the wrap up. So today's the last day you can do it. So let's sing it together. Oh, we're halfway there. Oh, there we go. All right. I just got it to get it out of my system. Today's the last day for that. I probably, so, but this series has been, has been a powerful series. I've really been feeling like this series has been setting our, our church up for something that God wants to do this year. Something um, deeper than just a move within the church of God, but a movement of the church of God within our community and with our region. And so I'm excited about what God has <coughs> for us, yeah. Uh, but these prayers that we've been talking about are powerful, yet can be intimidating to pray. Prayer, as we said in the first week, is simply real people talking to a real God about their real needs. It's as simple as that. And so it's important for us to pray uh, what's on our hearts and what's on our minds. We talked about praying for the needs in our life. And so we talked about somehow, sometimes our prayers, are they revolve around our needs. And we should bring our needs to God. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you Need and thank him for all he's done. So there's no prayers that are uh, insignificant prayers or prayers that we shouldn't be praying. We pray about everything, including our needs. We should pray apologetically for our, unapologetically for our needs because we're recognizing who's our provider and who's our source of blessing. But here's the thing that we've been talking about is that we can't let our prayers become ritual or routine or benign. Uh, we can't let our prayers stop there. We need to keep going a little bit deeper and a little bit further and a little bit um, braver and more courageous with our prayers. I heard a pastor ask this question. He said, if God said yes to every prayer you prayed in the last seven days, how would the world be different? Just think about that for a moment. Think about your week. If God said yes to everything you prayed this week, how would the world be different? So uh, you can say, ouch, or amen, right? 
But here's the thing. We pray a lot of great prayers, and they're prayers we should be praying. They're prayers we need to be praying. They're genuine prayers. But how many of these prayers are centered around us? They're centered around us, and they're centered around the things that are important to us. They're centered around the people who are important to us. A lot of our prayers are, are, uh, go something like this. God, would you do this for me? God, would you heal my loved one? God, would you help my kid get that job? God, would you bless us and watch over us, provide for us, direct us? All fantastic prayers that need to be prayed. And yet they're all saying, God, what would you do for me? Would you do this for me? Today I want us to think about praying in a little bit different direction. Not at the expense of one over the other, but in conjoined uh, saying, God, what would you do for me? And God, what could I do for you? See, one of the ways we experience the fullness and the power of this Christian life is getting on board with what God is doing in us and through us and around us. And so we are part of that by praying courageous and riskier and life-giving Prayers. These prayers, they push us out of our comfort zone. We talked about the idea that they're going to make us uncomfortable. They're going to stretch us at times. They're going to make us look deep within and confront some things in our lives. But these prayers are so exhilarating. They're so life-giving. This is where the rubber meets the road, where we realize that we aren't consumers of Christianity, but we're really participants in the kingdom of God. And so today, this is a prayer about availability. God, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? See, we've, we've been on a journey. You, you didn't know it, but we've been on a journey over the last four weeks. We've been saying, we started with saying, God, search me. Search me, look deep within me. See what's in me that needs to change. And we talked about, God, break me. Break me free from the things I've been holding on to that, that are holding me back and, and break me so you can heal me and make me whole. Then last week we talked about, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit's power so that I can do what you've called me to do. And this week we want to pray this prayer of availability. God, would you send me? Would you send me today? See, all through Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, we see a common theme, and it's this theme that God calls people. God calls people. Old Testament, New, people, New Testament, God is always calling people to his purposes. I think that there's three calls that God places on every person's life. Three calls God puts on everyone's life, whether you are the pastor in the, on the platform or whether you're in the pew. Three calls that God has for us. And his first one is the call to him. He calls us to himself. There's a call of salvation. Second call is a call to connection and to community. Uh, it's a call to uh, being a part of something bigger than ourselves. And the third call is the call to serve. The call to serve and be a part of his kingdom's purposes. Now, when God calls, he doesn't text or phone. See through scripture that he, he uses scripture, but really he impresses on us. He prompts people and moves people in their hearts and inspires people to say something, to do something, to give something, or to go somewhere, to meet a need, to encourage someone, to share his words. He calls us to be participants in his kingdom. Now there's a variety of responses when God calls. And so I thought we could look at just a couple of them today uh, in uh, the Old Testament in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 
Verse 1, God calls the prophet Jonah, and it says this, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, and he said, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it. Woohoo! Right? Because I have seen how wicked its people are. Verse 3 tells us Jonah's, uh, Jonah's response. Uh, Jonas, Jonah, Jonah's response, right? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so that he went in the opposite direction. How many can relate to that in your life? God's called you to do, no, you don't have to put your hand up, but you're like, I ran in the opposite direction. See, Jonah had a bit of a stubborn streak. Some of you are like, oh, I relate to Jonah. You know, I understand. Now, to be fair, this wasn't the easiest of messages. He wasn't being sent to the nicest of people. But it says that God calls Jonah with this message, and God gets that response. I'm sorry, the person you're trying to reach is currently unavailable. Please hang up and try again later. I shared this story with some of you before, and I was uh, a youth pastor, and our daughter, Myla, was in the hospital at the time, and uh, we were there with her, and she was in there for about a month at that time, and so, you know, when you're, if you've ever been in the hospital, you kind of get to that stage where you're not showering, and you're just like sweatpants and sweatshirt, just trying to be comfortable at the hospital, and so that's kind of where I was at, I've been there for a few weeks, and someone from our church called and said, I have a coworker whose daughter is at the same hospital as your daughter, and I was wondering if you could go visit her. Uh, she has childhood leukemia. And so while I was in the hospital in my sweatpants, kind of feeling a little bit grungy and, you know, haven't been there for a few weeks already, and I started thinking about this request, and I just thought, man, I don't even, what am I, even, what am I going to say? How am I going to go into a hospital? What do I say to parents who are experiencing something as traumatic and as, you know, frightening as that, right? Like, to me, like, in that moment, I'm like, that just sounds hopeless, and so I don't, I don't, I don't, that's, that's too much. And so in that moment, I said, you know, I, I'm not going. I'm not going. I wouldn't even know what to say. And I went home that night, and I, I think I shared that with some of you before. As a young pastor, I was just at home, and God convicted me so badly. I was a youth pastor. I like to do fun games. I do candy tosses, you know. I do, like, you know, slip and slides. Like, that's the kind of stuff I like doing as a youth pastor. And God just said to me, are you a pastor when it's easy, or are you a pastor when it's hard? I thought, ah, snap, right? Snap. I thought, well, I guess I'm just a pastor, so even when it's hard. And so I said, okay, God, I'm, I, I'm sorry. I'll go back tomorrow. And so the next day I got up and I ironed my shirt and like shaved, you know, for the first time in a couple of weeks and made myself look a little better. And I said, okay, God, I still don't know what I'm going to say, but I'll go. And I went to that room where they had told me she was and the nurse said, oh, she got transferred uh, out of here today. She's gone to Toronto. And I sat there in that moment thinking, God, I missed my chance. I missed my chance. You asked me to go and I missed my chance. And so I determined from that point forward that I would try not to miss my chance again because I was afraid or intimidated. And so it still happens. You still like wake up and go, I don't know what I'm going to do as a pastor today. Did you know that? Sometimes your pastor goes, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to show up. I'm just going to say, God, would you show up? If I show up, will you show up with me? Sometimes that's the place that we're at. But I just determined to try to show up more often. So Jonah says this. He says, here I am, God. I'm not 
going. Well, as we look at another person in scripture, someone uh, equally as famous, we look at the story of Moses. And like Jonah, Moses is given a tough assignment as well. Exodus 3 verse 7 says this, God speaking to Moses at the burning bush. He says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. Uh, imagine Moses, he's like totally on board with this. God, something needs to be done. Do you see the oppression my people are under? Do you see what's happening to them? Something needs to be done. Someone should do something, right? Someone should do something. And then all of a sudden, Moses realized, have you ever been at like a, a, a meeting at your workplace? Maybe you're at like a, a staff meeting and you're talking, you're like, hey, you know what we should do? And you present your idea and everyone's like, that's a great idea, right? And then you realize they're looking at you, right? Someone needs to do something. Someone should get on this. And they're like, yes, someone should, right? <laughs> and so God says this to Moses. He says, verse 10, go for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Imagine. Moses is like, yeah, that sounds good, God. Someone, something needs to get done. And then all of a sudden he's going, oh, wait a minute, right? Right? I put the idea out there at the staff meeting, but all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, there's some reasons why I shouldn't be the one. He starts backpedaling. You know, why it shouldn't be me? Talk to Pharaoh? Lead the people? He's like, I'm not the right person for that job. You know the story if you're familiar with it. He says, who am I? I'm just a no one. Well, is he forgetting that he was actually the one raised in Pharaoh's palace, right? The one most familiar with the customs and culture and the ways of Pharaoh. He says exactly what I said in that moment at the hospital. He said, I wouldn't know what to say. What do you say to a Pharaoh who's oppressing the people? You know, I wouldn't know. Then he says, besides the people, they wouldn't even listen to me or believe me if I told them that you sent me, right? How many can relate? So, and then, then he goes, he just, well, I'm not really good with the words, you know. Not really good with words, God, you know. Maybe I could text it to Pharaoh, you know. <laughs> From a distance, maybe from here, I could text it to him, let my people go, right? That sounds a little bit safer to me. But in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, it comes down to this place. God keeps, you know, walking him through all of, his, all of his excuses. And it says in verse 13, then Moses again pleaded. And he said, Lord, would you please send someone else? Anyone else? It's really like his heart's really reveal, revealed there, right? It's not really that I believe all the excuses. It's just really like deep down inside, I don't want to go, right? I don't think I'm prepared. I don't think I'm adequate. I don't think I'm best equipped. I don't think, and I wouldn't know what to say, right? Any of those things, how many could relate to that? It's amazing how easily the excuses come to mind when we don't want to do something, Right? Right? If you don't want to do something, you can think of a million reasons why you shouldn't do it. There's a million reasons why someone else would be better. You know, that person, God, you should ask them to give generously because they have more spare change than I do, right? They have more toys. They have more. They should be the ones to give generously. God, you know, maybe, um, Lord, that person has more time than I do, you know, She's like a stay-at-home mom, so she's got all kinds of time, you know, with her and her three kids and her laundry and all this stuff. You know, she's got lots of time. <laughs> 
I, no, don't come after me. I'm, uh, I'm being facetious. I understand. <laughs> completely. Completely. God, they have more experience. They're better equipped. I can think of a million reasons why there's better people than me to go, she'd be better. He'd be better. Anyone would be better than me, Lord. Right? Can you relate to that? Jonah says, here I am. I'm not going. Moses says, here I am, but send somebody else. Well, this morning I want to spend the rest of our time looking at the response of someone with a different outlook and a different approach. Uh, Someone who, like Jonah and Moses, had been given a difficult assignment. It wasn't an easy one. Uh, But the circumstances surrounding their life weren't perfect. And yet they responded differently. So if you want to turn with me in your Bible to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah is just after the books of Psalms and Proverbs, just after there, and just a little before Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 6, if you want to turn there. And uh, it says this, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. I think this is like incense smoke. This isn't like, hey, everyone get out of the temple. You gotta go. And then Isaiah says this It's all over. I'm doomed. For I'm a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips with it. And he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven." And let's read verse 8 together, all together right now, okay? Verse 8, all together. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. Jonah said, Here I am, God, I'm not going. Moses said, Here I am, send someone else. Isaiah says, Here I am, Send me. Now, for context, this isn't an ideal time in Isaiah's life. It says that it's the year that King Uzziah had died. Now, King Uzziah reigned in 740 BC. That's the time we're talking about. And King Uzziah had been crowned at age 16. And he had reigned for 55 years. And it was some of Israel's best years. Compared to the famous King David, Uzziah was just about on par. He was one of the greatest kings that Israel had known. He faithfully served God and led the people well. And and he'd been one of the greatest and godliest kings right up until about the end. And right at the end, it says that his pride began to get a hold of him. And he began to uh, do some things that that weren't pleasing in the sight uh, of God. And so similarly to what we just witnessed this year, the the long-reigning and wealthy, 
thought of monarch had passed away. And similar to what we've seen this year, uh, even in our own uh, world, uh, the questions about the monarchy began to, to, to stir. You know, well, what's the future of the throne? Who will be the next king and how will they lead? Well, will the next king follow and pursue God like Uzziah did? Or will it be a roller coaster like the previous kings before him where they will turn their backs on God? There's a lot of questions. And, and it says that the, the nation itself is in disarray, not following after. God. And so it's this setting that Isaiah has a vision. Uh, he has a dream from the Lord where he sees the throne room of heaven and he senses God calling out to him. And you know what stands out to me as I read this passage? In contrast to Moses' response that takes a couple of chapters of him asking questions, Isaiah doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't play 20 questions. He just says, I'll go. Right? I can imagine them coming home to his wife. We, we see in scripture he, he's married. And he comes home to his wife and he says, hey honey, God spoke to me today. He's called me on an assignment. Right? And she goes, well, where are we going? I don't know. You know, well, what are we going? I don't know. What should I pack? I don't know. You know, what's the salary? What's the compensation like? Right? Well, what's the, what, 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 how many vacation days are we going to get? Right? <laughs> And, and Isaiah says, like, I don't know. I didn't ask any questions, right? Typical man, right? <laughs> and so his wife is like, you didn't ask any questions? He just said, no. I just said, I'll go. I'll go. You know? Imagine for a moment what it would look like for you to be able to say fully to God, God, here I am. I'm available to you. My answer is yes. God, I have my plans, but you have full permission to interrupt them. Right, God, I, I, uh, wherever you need me to go, I'll go. If you want me to stay, I'll stay. Whatever you want me to say, anything, I'll speak it for you. God, if you want me just to be quiet and pray, I can do that. God, if you want me to give generously, I'll share what I have. God, if you want me to invest my time, my time is yours. Whatever you need for me to do, God, I'm here for it. God, whatever you need me to do, I'm here for you. For you. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. How many know this prayer can be intimidating? This is an audacious, uh, 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 audacious and intimidating prayer. It can be frightening, you know, because as people of faith, how many know what we believe? We believe that God answers our prayers. And so when we say, here, God, I'm available to you, how many of you ever offered up something, you know, kind of like, hey, yeah, I'm available. Just give me a call. Anything you need. You know, babysitting? Yeah, no problem. You want me to watch your dog? Yeah, just drop them off for the week, right? But then when people take you up on it, you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting them to take me up on it, right? When we come to God and say, God, I'm available to you, how many know he's going to take you up on it? He's going to take you up on it. Now, you might be thinking, that sounds scary. You might be thinking, that sounds exciting, too. But how do you get to that place of having the attitude where you're 100% open and available to God? Well, the first thing I want to say is that this is like a daily decision, right? Just because you were open and available to God a decade ago doesn't mean you still are today, right? Just, in case, just because you said yes to God you know, three weeks ago doesn't mean that you're going to say yes tomorrow. This is a daily decision of saying, God, I'm here for you. But there's three things in this passage that I think led to Isaiah being available. And the first one is this. He had experienced the presence of God. He'd experienced the presence of God. He said, I saw the Lord and he was sitting on the throne. 
Isaiah saw that, he had this glimpse of heaven. As he saw heaven, he saw the majesty and the glory. He saw these angelic beings calling out the holiness and, uh, and glory of God. We, we see, and we see the Lord sitting on the throne. The throne of his own nation was in question. The, the turmoil that he was living in, like physically at that time, was in question. And yet, he saw in heaven that God is still on the throne. How many know that there might be turmoil? We might not like who's on the throne of our parliament or whatever it is at the time. But how many know that we look and we see in heaven that God is still on the throne? Right? God is still on the throne. And so he saw God on the throne, and it transformed him. It transformed him. He had this encounter with Jesus. John 12 actually tells us that it's Jesus that Isaiah saw on the throne. It says in John 12 that uh, it was Jesus that Isaiah is referring to. He saw the future and was speaking of the Messiah's glory. God gave him a, a vision of Jesus on the throne, ruling and reigning. And it caused a transformation in his life. Transformed his perspective. If we find ourselves unavailable to God, the first question we should say is, when was the last time I was in God's presence? If I'm unavailable to God, if I used to be but I'm not now, when was the last time I was in God's presence? God's presence changes us. Tonight we call our worship time Encounter. We're coming tonight to encounter God in a fresh way. We want to be in God's presence. Tonight I want to encourage you to come and be a part of encounter. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. It's this active part on us to say, God, I want to put myself into your presence so that I could be transformed. Second thing is that he became aware of his sinfulness. The closer and clearer Isaiah saw Jesus in his holiness, the clearer it became to him that his own righteousness was lacking. He says, I'm a sinful man. He actually expected to die. The Old Testament Jews believe that if you ever saw God in his holiness, that in your imperfection you would be struck dead. So that's what he's expecting. Woe is me, my life is over. And yet he has this vision of God. You know, one of the most common reasons that people give for not needing Jesus and his transformation is because I'm a good person, right? I'm a good person. Compared to most of the people I know, I'm pretty good, right? But compared to God's sinless perfection, when we get a glimpse of God, we realize that no matter how good we are, we all fall short. Remember that crust commercial for the, you know, how white are your teeth? And she gets like the little tissue test, right? Right? How white are your teeth? And she compares it to like the tissue. How many know like that tissue is like God's sinless perfection? That it doesn't matter how, you know, some people want to get glow-in-the-dark teeth. I actually was reading that that's a bad, you know, commercial. Dentists hate that because <laughs> that doesn't represent reality. Our teeth shouldn't be like glow-in-the-dark white. You know, it's unnatural. But that's what God's perfection is. Glow-in-the-dark white. And compared to him, you know, we fall short. And because when we see that, we're humbled. And we're, it crushes any pride that we might have when we see God's perfection and holiness. But here's the third thing. Not only did he become aware of his own sin, but he understood God's grace. 
And this is the key. This is the catalyst to being fully available to God. That when we receive God's touch, we recognize that our sins are forgiven, that they're completely atoned for, that our lying lips are forgiven, that our lustful hearts are forgiven, that our selfish and self-centered attitudes are forgiven, when our angry outbursts are forgiven, when every secret sin that no one knows about but God is forgiven, we come to this place of humility and saying, God, I'm undone. I'm undone before you. I love Psalm 103. It says he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's how far God removes our sin from us. 1 John 1 says if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. When we understand the grace of our God in our lives, it transforms everything about us, right? We experience the presence of God We become aware of our own sinfulness and then we understand God's grace and we begin to understand our our perspective changes because we understand that in this relationship, God is bringing everything to the relationship and we're bringing nothing. Have you ever gone to a party where it's just like the the host has brought everything and you've brought nothing? Have you ever been to a party like that, right? And you're just kind of like, well, like what what can I do? What can I do to help, right? I feel bad that you've done everything and I'm just, what can I do? How can I serve? Where where can I pitch in, right? And so when we come to Jesus and we say, God, this relationship, you brought everything to this. I've brought nothing. Where can I help? What can I do? How can I serve? How can I get involved? You know, sometimes we need a fresh reminder. You know, we come to this place and we're like, oh God, this is so amazing. You know, I just, you know, I love new believers. New believers are always like so enraptured with God and what God's doing in their lives. But sometimes we need reminders, right, as mature believers. You know, how many, I told you that we got a dog a little while ago, right, at at our house. How many remember my kids were like, oh dad, we're gonna take care of this dog. We're going to walk the dog. We're going to clean up after the dog. We're so excited about this dog. How many knew I had my reservations? How many knew that I was right? I walked the dog yesterday, right? I, already, I cleaned up poop last week, right? How many know it's a daily decision to say, here I am, send me, send me. We want to say it's someone else's turn. I've done my turn. I told you that a little while ago. As a pastor, I never want to hear I've done my time, right? Doesn't mean you have to stay doing the same thing, but there's other things that God is calling you to do, right? Don't ever want to say, God, send someone else. It's so easy to say, I don't want to, I don't feel like it, I'm busy, I have other plans, send someone else, God. But God is calling us to say, here I am, send me. You know, one of the reasons that we don't pray this prayer is because we're afraid. We're afraid that God will answer it. And when we're afraid, we always expect the worst. Just think about that. If you love somebody so much, but you expect the worst from them, right? Where's the worst place God could send you? You Don't don't shut it out. I remember as a kid, I'd say, okay, God, I'll go anywhere you want, but please, please don't send me to the North Pole. Please don't send me to Africa, right? It's always Africa. I don't know why people don't want to go to Africa, right? For some reason, that's what we imagine, right? God, like, if I make myself available, you're going to ruin my life. You're going to like make me sell everything I have and give it away. You're going to make me like, oh, God, 
Right? That's how we imagine things. And here's the thing. God just might. He might call you to some things that are uncomfortable. He might call you to some sacrificial things. But in the process of calling you, you're going to find out that it's actually one of the most beautiful things to be a part of. As you wrestle with that, those things, it just might happen. But here's what's more likely to happen. If you say, God, I'm here for you. God's going to call you to be a missionary to your workplace. It's going to call you to be a work, reaching out and, and the sphere of people that you already interact with every day. He's going to call you to be a faithful steward of what he's already blessed you with. Sometimes we always look at the extreme things and sacrifice. We say, God, I don't want that in my life. But God said, well, let's start with this. And people that have experienced those things often have been building up to that place, you know, over time where God has been faithful to them. And never, ever do they ever say, I regret making that decision. They always say this has been one of the most joy-giving and fulfilling parts of my life. You know, we always imagine the big thing that God's going to call us to. But most of the time, it's the little things that God wants us to do for him. Simply saying, God, I'm available to you. Day after day, God, I'm available. And oftentimes, the Bible says that one day we're going to stand before the Lord. And he's going to say, I saw when you gave that cup of water. I saw when you loved in my name. And we're going to say, God, like, that was no big deal. That was so insignificant. And God's going to say, that wasn't insignificant to me. That was obedience. That was availability. Will you be available to God? This week I had just a really cool opportunity. I told you about the hospital visit I made years ago. Well, this week I got a random call to go to the hospital. And there was a lady that I didn't know who she was, but she wanted the Pentecostal pastor to come and pray with her. And so I went not knowing what I was getting into. And I got there, and they said, well, the lady's down in the lobby. She's just had some friends come to visit. And so I went down, met her, and said, okay, well, I'll come back tomorrow. And I was thinking, I don't really want to go back tomorrow. I already went today. And so like two days in a row, is kind of eating into my schedule a little bit. But I'll go back, you know, see what she needs. And so I got back the next day, and, and I found out that she'd been in the hospital. She'd had a stroke, and she'd fallen and broken her leg. And, and she'd had not... Uh, she was just having a really hard day when she called, but now she's in better spirits. And I thought, okay, you know, she's obviously a believer in Jesus, and she, her spirits have been encouraged. And so I just was kind of like, yeah, I'm glad I could be here. Nice to meet you. Nice to pray with you. And uh, she was just, you know, praising Jesus, giving glory to God through our time together. Uh, and as I was about to leave, uh, another woman walked in. And this woman who walked in, the lady in the bed obviously knew her, and I quickly found out that this was her niece that had just walked in. Her niece had just walked in, and it became apparent that they hadn't seen each other for two or three years, and, and the niece was like, I was here to see someone else, but I heard you were here, so I thought I would just come in and say hi. And as they began to talk, the woman in this bed with the broken leg, suffering from the effects of the stroke, uh, she began to love on this woman with the love of Jesus. Uh, she was saying, here I am, send me. She couldn't get out of the bed, but she was willing. The one who was there to receive the comfort was actually the one giving comfort. She said, hey, how have you been doing? They began to talk. They began to reminisce. The lady began to say, I don't know how much more I could take. You know, there's so many things going on in my life. And I watched this lady begin to minister Jesus. And as I was there, I realized I was just there to be a part of something beautiful. I was supposed to be there the day before. But now we're here and I said, hey, you know what? There's no, uh, it's, it's not chance that you happen to walk into this room where us two believers, we're just encouraging each other with the Lord. I think the Lord wants us to pray for and encourage you. We just were available. I didn't want to go that day. My schedule was full. 
But in that moment, God said, here, I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send someone. That lady in the bed, she's like, I'm the one needing comfort. I got the broken foot, right? I'm in the hospital. And yet she was saying, God, I, I, I can't go, but you can send someone to me. And as she had that awareness, as we began to minister to this lady, we began to pray for her in that hospital room. It was a divine appointment that came simply from saying, God, I will be available to you. Here I am, God. Send me. God, over these last four weeks, we've been praying these prayers. God, would you search me? Search my heart and see if there's anything in me that's hindering me from being who you called me to be. God, would you break me? Set me free, God, from the things I've been holding on to that are holding me back from you. Set me free from the things that I've been learning to limp with so I could be whole and in healing. Lord Jesus, fill me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. It's your Holy Spirit's power that brings courage and boldness and the power to witness that I need. Today we're saying, Jesus, would you send me? God, we have our fears. Where could that lead? What might that entail? We don't know. But what we do know is that you are holy, that you love us. God, that you took us while we were in our sin. God, and that you redeemed us and restored us because of your great love for us. And because of that, we can trust you. And we can trust your faithfulness. God, that wherever this availability may lead us, God, you are going to go with us. And it's going to be good. And it's going to be fulfilling. And it's going to be fruitful. Lord Jesus, we pray as we make ourselves available to you today. Jesus, let it begin in the small things, in the small conversations, in the small acts of obedience, in the small acts of generosity. God, I pray you would surprise us this week about all the places you show up and all the places and things that we get to be a part of. God, we don't advance your kingdom. Your kingdom is already advancing. We just get to be a part of what you're doing. And so, God, I pray that for our church. God, at the start of this year, 2023, God, let us be a part of what you're doing. Let us be a part of what you're doing in our families. God, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. God, a part of what you're doing in our city, across this region. God, in OK Falls and Summerland and Peachland and Naramata and Karameas. God, I pray that the influence of the kingdom of God would be spreading. And as it does, God, that we would be able to be the carriers of your good message the carriers of your culture, the carriers of your light, because we're simply available. Simply available. Jesus, that's what we want to be for you today.